0: Continuing in our study in Leviticus, we come this morning to the second of these great feasts of the Lord, and that is the Passover, the institution of the Passover. And our complementary passage will be Luke's Gospel, the 22nd chapter, verses 1 through 23. So with your Bibles open to Leviticus chapter 23, we'll be reading verses 4 through 8. In honor of God's word, please stand. Leviticus chapter 23, beginning in verse 4, hear God's word. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. And on the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work work. As far in the reading of God's Word, please turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. We'll be reading verses 1 through 23. Continuing in God's Word. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number Of the twelve, he went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may see it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, He reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was doing, who was going to do this. As far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, we have read. Would you now open our ears that we may hear the voice of our good shepherd in Christ's name? Amen. Please be seated. New Year's rituals define cultures. Every culture has some sort of New Year ritual. Western culture, American culture, you usually associate it with all the friends getting together and counting down till midnight. Uh, I associate it with going to bed at 9.30. That's my culture. But there there are different ways. Our our Puerto Rican uh, brothers and sisters celebrate Christmas uh, very differently. (laughs) They they show up at each other's houses at midnight and make loud banging noises with pots and pans. I said, you can't do that (laughs) around here. (laughs) You will get shot (laughs) doing that around here. Everybody celebrates the new year in a different way because they define our culture. They're, they're, they're joyful things. They're, they're things that shape our story. And so, on the first month of the year, every year, people are going to sit at Passover on the 14th of the first month of the year, and then they're going to spend an entire week of unleavened bread, purging out all the leaven from their midst, and then they're going to have a Sabbath rest. And do you remember how we picked up on the Sabbath last Sunday? And specifically what it is that we are resting from. We are resting from that burden, that burden that we place on ourselves. We are resting and hearing the peace in the garden. The word of you're at home and you're at peace. And so the first celebration of the year for the Israelite people was this great Passover feast. The event, the seven days, and then the Sabbath rest. Now, I apologize. You should be able to see in that a theme, a picture, a sacrifice, seven days of purging of sin, the absolute, complete holiness to God, followed by a Sabbath rest. And this is what is going to define the people of God throughout their generations. So let's look quickly at the Passover, what the Passover at its core is. If you've been with us for years, you know we've preached this already, uh, back in Exodus chapter 12, <laughs> when my intention was just to preach the book of Exodus, and somehow found myself going on into Leviticus and the Numbers. <laughs> but <laughs> the the Passover event itself, at its core, is God preserving His covenant people from Himself. He is the one who passes over the land of Egypt in that final ultimate plague against Pharaoh where finally the chains are broken and the land vomits them out take all the possession and all the gold and silver, just get out of here. That was the Passover. And that powerful, powerful image is to be marking God's people throughout their existence. That the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts of the house Has saved me from God's wrath. Has protected my home and my family. I am saved. And when I say I am saved. I'm not saying I'm saved from a life of struggle. I'm not saying I'm saved from... Hardships or disappointments or discouragements or betrayals. Hurts that are deep. I'm saved from God's wrath. (laughs) I'm saved from what God has right to do to me. I am saved by the blood of the Lamb. And if I hear that again and again and again, I hope one day I'll live it. (laughs) But I can tell you that my entire struggle, every day of my life, is the response to that word of the Passover that you are loved. The blood of the Lamb. Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that He gave His Son that whoever believes in Him might be saved. Look to the man on the tree hanging like the serpent in the wilderness unless the Son of Man is lifted up. You cannot be saved. The Passover was earnestly desired by Jesus. This was that final Passover. This was that final moment. That last week of his life. That final stage when he was about to go to the cross. But let's look secondly at the lamb. The Passover lamb. Each year. An entire week. And it's, it's, it's interesting the way Luke describes it. He describes it as the feast of unleavened bread, which is also called the Passover. It shows that the people that weren't Israelites, because Luke is writing to a Gentile audience, the people who weren't Israelites never really got the whole Passover thing. They just recognized that all Israel, for seven days, ate unleavened bread. The faithful Israelites, the Joshuas, the Ruth, The faithful Israelites through the generations, David, those who were godly and saw in the Passover what it was, saw themselves protected by the blood of the Lamb. Those who saw themselves in that Passover, all the way down to Simeon in the temple, praying that God would let him see that Passover lamb. All the way down the ages to Mary, who said faithfully, may it be to your handmaiden, as my Lord has said. All the way down, God's faithful covenant people saw that message of the blood. Of the Passover. That God said to them. That they were loved. And that they were accepted. And that they were forgiven. And of course Jesus takes it up here in Luke. Earnestly I have desired to eat this Passover. The, the, his His deity bursts forth. This is not some stage magician. His deity bursts forth and he says, go into the city. This is what you're going to see. Go follow him. Go to the man. Say the teacher (laughs) wants to know where he's going to meet with his disciples and he will show you. Jesus is running this show. We saw it at the very end of the Luke passage. The Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to him. Woe to him by whom he is betrayed. And of course we know. That horrible, horrible story of despair. But the Lamb himself. His earnest desire, this, this core identity opens like a flower here in Luke 18, or I'm sorry, in verse 18. It opens of, of Luke 22, I'm sorry. It, it opens like a flower here. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He knows exactly why he's there. He knows exactly what his mission is. He is in absolute control of this entire event so that you and I can know that our Passover is not protecting from the wrath of God. The angel of death is not any longer looming over your head, but it is now the angel of the new covenant. It is the messenger of the new covenant, the message that the nations will come streaming up to God. Here when he says, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, you're seeing the Passover like one of those rosebuds that I hope a lot of ladies got. Recently, (laughs) one of those rosebuds that slowly opens up and reveals the beautiful flower that it has always been. This is how he opens so that you and I, because of this Passover lamb, are hearing the word come and dine, come and eat. Come and be filled. And of course, he institutes the Lord's Supper here so that you and I get to come every week (laughs) to our Passover lamb, to our Passover table, to the angel of the new covenant, the mediator of a much better covenant, the one who speaks peace. How would a Passover people? I think I forgot to say my points at the beginning. But it was the Passover itself, the Passover lamb, and thirdly, the Passover people. The third is the Passover people. All those faithful people, all those faithful people, through the generations. Moses, Joshua, Eli, Samuel, Simeon, Mary. Think of all those faithful saints. You know what the writer of the Hebrews says? They all stand as witness. If you were with us at the last men's group, uh, the Disciplines of a Godly Man, he mentions this. It, it's, it extended devotion on Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And he says, all of these saints, the roll hall of saints of Hebrews chapter 11, surround us like witnesses, all bearing witness saying, we ran the race. It can be done. And that hall of witnesses has just grown and grown and grown. I'm very, very blessed to have many witnesses that I've known personally, who I know are now showing me that it can be run. You can remain faithful, even in death. The race can be run. My race is not your race. Everybody's race is the race that God has set before them. But beloved, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses all of whom say this race can be run. A people that knew that would be a people who were really, really thankful. They'd be a people who I think would be really, really joyful. To live every year with a spiritual awareness, to come every week, To the table. A people who knew that, who saw that vision, and who heard again and again and again that as we look unto Jesus, the one who is both our great pioneer, the trailblazer who lived that life that we could never, ever, ever live. and who said, I am the Passover lamb. It's interesting, Spurgeon, I think, brings this out. Over the next 48 hours, imagine how that lamb was inspected. The priest to make sure there was no blemish. The family members picking the lamb. Over the intervening days, Jesus himself is inspected. He's inspected by the Herodians. He's inspected by all these different groups of people. They each challenge him in their own way until it finally builds to the point that Pilate himself says, I find no fault He was declared to be innocent. He was inspected and Pilate said, this is a perfect man. I find no fault. That's the Passover lamb that went before God. Suffered. That perfect man. And he went eagerly, earnestly, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the shame. A people that knew that, beloved, I think would be a joyful people. Think of all the exhortations in the New Testament. How many of those exhortations involve exhortations to rejoice? How many of those challenges in the New Testament are challenges to you and me to live lives that reflect a Passover lamb? The Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And as Jesus not only unfolds that Passover into the new covenant, he also inaugurates his kingdom. If you're in the adult Sunday school class, I hadn't intended this. I had no idea that Jeremy was touching on it, but it was a great point. The resurrection of Jesus is not sufficient. He had to ascend. He had to be seated at the right hand of God. And when he sat down at God's right hand, the accuser was finally crushed. And his kingdom began. And his kingdom grows. And his kingdom transforms. It opens like a flower and it transforms individuals. It transforms marriages. It transforms saints. But it begins with the recognition that I must look unto Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of my faith. And beloved, if that is your story, if that is your heart, if that is where you are with Jesus Christ, then rejoice. Man, that's amazing. (laughs) That is amazing. That when God looks in love, And says to me and to you, you are accepted, you are loved, and you are forgiven. It was nailed at the cross. It rose triumphant in declaration that when Jesus Christ screamed in agony, it is finished, three days later he rose and said, here it is, (laughs) the new kingdom. He's eating bread with his disciples after the resurrection, eating fish with them. The new kingdom has opened in its glory and power. In the ascension, the exaltation of Jesus Christ, and in his being seated on the throne. Interceding for you. Bringing all of it, even the stuff that you are blind to. Bringing it all to him. Yea, so ordaining everything so ordaining all things. I'm trying to think of the Heidelberg Catechism. Question one. What is my only comfort in life and death? Sorry, i got to start from the beginning. My only comfort in life and in death is that I belong, body and soul, to a faithful Savior who so loves me and cares for me that not a hair can fall from my head without my Father's heavenly permission. Yea, that all things must be so ordered and ordained for my good. My only comfort in life and in death is body and soul. And beloved, if you know that peace, if you know that peace that it passes understanding, Then the angel of the covenant says, come, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. The Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Paul says, why are you being knuckleheads? We need to, because the Passover lamb has been sacrificed, we need to operate in sincerity and truth. Holy lives. We are the feast. <laughs> we are the holy dedication to God. He, he goes on in that First Corinthians passage to say, "Listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't interact with the world. If if I said you shouldn't interact with the world, then you know that, that's crazy. You can't do that." But what he says is the world shouldn't look like the church and the church shouldn't look like the world. Because if the church looks just like the world, how are the, is anybody ever going to see that beautiful flower opening up? How is anybody going to ever see those holy people? All the exhortations, stop being this, start being that. All of the ways in which we encourage and help one another in the New Testament, they're all examples of the church doing what the church should be doing. Encouraging one another in holiness while it is still today. Not forsaking the meeting of ourselves together is the habit of some, <laughs> but the more so as you see the day approaching. <laughs> it's just the regular life breath of the church. As we encourage one another... As we come around one another, I think everybody in here has probably had some encouragement from just about everybody else in here. And I know I've had encouragement from each and every one of you. As we encourage one another in the truth that that Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Christ our Passover has been sacrificed as we encourage one another in holiness while it still is today. Father, we thank you for Christ our Passover lamb. We thank you that even now we come again with fresh eyes and hungry hearts to his table. Feed us and grow us. We pray in Christ's name, amen.